Jesse Superfox, your personal guru. And today I wanted to share a little bit about my story and my bipolar disorder. I feel like it's a really relevant topic no matter what time of year it is or any year for that matter because there's so many people that struggle with mental illness or have someone in their family that has mental illness or have struggled with depression at some point in their lives, which is one in three of us. So yeah, anyways. I just wanted to talk a little bit about what it's like to have bipolar disorder as well as the story of how I was diagnosed. Um, at 14, I had my first massive depression, um, and it was terrible. It was following a breakup. And of course, at the time when you're 14, three months is a serious relationship by then. You're practically getting married and buying your minivan, right? But I didn't realize that three months was nothing, and this guy had taken my virginity, which is terrible. 14 now looking back, that was such a young age. But at the time, I was hanging out with the wrong kids and getting into trouble. Obviously, I was self-medicating. I was smoking a crap ton of weed. So anyways, I probably started smoking weed and drinking alcohol in the eighth grade. And then it just progressed throughout high school. So I was definitely self-medicating. I do, I have a history of um, extreme sexual abuse in my family, I lived with a level three sex offender slash pedophile. So I do think a lot of that trauma led to a lot of my bipolar and, and the severity of it. I do think trauma plays a huge role. So it's the whole nature versus nurture thing. Um, I definitely think that there is a genetic link. In fact, I know there is. And But then also at the same time, you're also looking and following patterns that your parents do. So again, nature versus nurture but I do think both of them contribute. Um, I know that when I was younger, from a very small age, I'm pretty sure the abuse probably started around three, which most of that I probably completely blocked out, but I do remember certain instances. Um, I do think that that is a natural protection that we use is often not remember anything or protect ourselves by pushing that out so that we don't have to remember those painful instances. But I do know that I dealt with a lot of fear in the house because I never know what was going to happen or when it was going to happen. So every day I got home from school, even at the early age of five or six, I would sneak into my bedroom so I could hide while my dad, was, my stepdad was sleeping and just praying that he would not come into my room. So oftentimes I would try to make excuses to go to my friend's house so I didn't have to be alone all the time. And this guy had created such a propensity for fear in me because he liked control and he liked to scare me so that really got him off actually and <clears throat> he would jump out from behind doors even though he knew I hated to be scared and I was scared of him I was absolutely terrified he was an adult and I was a small child I had no idea but I knew what he was doing was wrong I absolutely knew that and he knew that I knew so that was always really scary because I had a, no idea how he was going to react towards me knowing that. So anyways, I dealt with a lot of fear um, as a small child. And as I got older, the abuse got more severe and more often. Um, and I was getting nervous that eventually he would rape me, but he didn't. Thank God. Anyways, um, after all of that abuse, I went on to um, obviously high school and those Years were totally insane. I pretty much had a full-time job smoking weed other than school from eight to six. And I just took a bunch of acid and mushrooms and pretty much any drug I could get my hands on trying to numb out. Um, at 16, I had a teacher um, encourage me to press charges against my stepdad, which I did. And it did, it did have some feelings, but it also, some good feelings, but it also brought up a lot of negative feelings from that time as well. 
And I think that that caused another depression. And that's when my mom had taken me in. Um, and, you know, I was diagnosed with depression. And I was put on Prozac, which was like the new medication that they were giving people that seemed pretty safe. They had a little bit of research on it, so they knew it was working, and it seemed to be the most safest at the time for children if kids were going to take antidepressants. And so I got put on a low dose of um, Prozac, and I did actually feel a little better. I definitely wasn't having suicidal ideation anymore. However, I don't really think it helped with the underlying you know, issue of the depression, which was the trauma. Now, I had been seeking counseling and doing all these things, so hopefully I didn't have to take medication. But for some odd reason, the medication seemed to be necessary. And at the time, I'm glad I chose to take it. Um, after I had that incident at 16, I ended up obviously going into graduating high school and going into college. And college years was just as crazy. I partied a lot. I drank a lot. I took a lot of pills. Um, that was the first time I'd ever been exposed to like muscle relaxers from all the weightlifting I was doing. And man, I'm telling you, when I took one of those, I felt completely at home. Those things were like the best for numbing out. So I didn't have to recognize anything or look at anything about myself or what I needed to do to help myself. Um, I know that that was a really crucial part about my therapy. I actually stopped therapy when I was in college. I just didn't think it was doing any good. I couldn't find a good therapist. I had one gentleman, but he ended up changing jobs, and so I had to leave that guy. Um, it was really, really hard. At the time, I had six roommates, and we were all heavy drinkers. Every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we get smashed. And so um, at 25, I finally had had my first serious manic slash mixed episode, which means you're actually depressed and you're manic at the same time. Now, going back, I'm just going to explain a little bit about bipolar for those of you who don't know much about it. You probably know, oh yeah, it's up and down, mood swings, whatever, but actually it's a lot more detailed than that. And if you want more information, you can always get on the DSM and look it up. But it does have very specific things. Bipolar 1 typically are people that tend to be manic most of the time with periods of depression. And there's... Um, their cycles last longer. Whereas bipolar two usually is manic, hypomanic, which hypomanic just means you're kind of, it's not a full blown manic episode, which can include hallucinations, hearing voices, et cetera. But a hypomanic is just you're up, you've got grandiosity, you know, you think you're the best thing ever. It's like the most creative space. Actually, it's awesome, truthfully. It's like you just did some blow and then you're like just seeing all the vibrancy in the world. It's unbelievable. So that's why a lot of people also don't like to take their medication, by the way, is because it, it puts a damper on your creativity. But anyways, so knowing that between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2, I was diagnosed with bipolar 2. So I typically have shorter cycles. Mine usually last. It can be three to six months. Um, I usually tend to be hypomanic and manic. I hate to say manic, but hypomanic most of the time because I'm usually pretty up. And anyone who knows you will probably tell you that. Um, when you're manic, you also like to talk a lot, which I always like to talk a lot, so that doesn't matter. Talk a lot. Um, you can talk really fast. I just do that naturally. Or shit, maybe it's my hypomania. I have no idea, but those are just qualities of myself as well. But anyways, so it's like you're on a high when you're manic. It's just like the best thing ever. 
Um, if you're on a severe case of mania, it could be really dangerous, um, especially if you're having a mixed episode. But a lot of people that are in a full-blown manic episode will hear voices and see things. And they can become very paranoid or, you know, try to do crazy things. They think that they're the Queen of Sheba. Like, they literally are in a state of disillusionment. So it can be really dangerous. And it's extremely scary for um, loved ones when that's going on because it's hard to get that person to see any different because they're having a psychotic episode. So it doesn't happen all the time. Those are in very uh, extreme cases and severity and everyone is on a spectrum, just like in sexuality. Everyone is also on a spectrum for mental illness or bipolar disorder. They're very high functioning. I consider myself a high functioning bipolar um, you know, person that is living with it. And I think that there are also a lot of people who struggle with it in the sense that it is crippling and paralyzing and they have to be on government aid. So like I said, there's a huge spectrum with that. Um, after I was diagnosed, obviously with bipolar two, I was put on medication and at the time, the psychiatrist who was a, he was actually a child psychologist. So he knew a lot about, you know, the younger formative years and trauma and um, bipolar, which was really good. So he put me on a anti-seizure analeptic. It, most uh, mood stabilizing medicines are actually prescribed for people who are also epileptic. So I always want to talk to people who have epilepsy and just say, hey man, how bad is that med, right? You know, because there's all kinds of terrible fucking side effects from psychiatric medication. Oh, my God. So I can't even imagine having epilepsy and then having to take a super high dose of Depakote, which is a god awful medicine. You have to have your liver tested to make sure that your, um, you know, your chemicals are in the right place or you could damage your liver severely. I've taken lithium, which gave me terrible acne and I gained about 30 pounds in three months. That was absolutely terrible. Um, Zyprexa is probably one of the worst ones out there. It's an antipsychotic and that one makes you gain weight and increase your appetite and lower your metabolism so quickly that it's actually been talked about taking it off the market. That's how damaging it is because it's causing diabetes. So those are some great side effects, right? Uh, a lot of them cause dizziness, short-term memory, um, constipation, tremors, tardive dyskinesia, which is like the worst ever you have tics, controls, facial movements you can't control. Um, a lot of times if you see people that have facial tics, it's possible they could have mental illness. Not saying don't judge everybody, just saying if you see somebody or it's possible they're taking a medicine that actually causes that side effect. So it's possible that somebody could be on an analeptic or a anti, um, antipsychotic because those do tend to cause tardive dyskinesia. So those things are terrifying and that is always why I struggled taking medicine. So when I was diagnosed with bipolar two, I had to take Depakote and I was taking an antipsychotic Zyprexa, which was hopefully going to snap me out of my irritable um, states as well as my rumination. Cause I had a really, I have a really hard time when I'm hypomanic and manic about ruminating and stewing in things constantly. So anyways, I had struggled with, you know, taking medication. I started taking it. I didn't like it. And so I stopped taking it. And of course, I didn't wean off of it. So I had some crazy, like daily, you know, ap after I stopped taking it, I kind of got weird. I heard some voices and it was terrible. You're supposed to wean off those meds. It's super important because a lot of them can actually cause seizures when you come off of them um, and you don't do it in a safe way. So I ended up going off my medicine and I was off my medicine for a while. Um, and, you know, like I said, 
when I got a little older, uh, my mom got really sick with cancer. And at the time I was struggling with an opiate addiction. And so I went to live in a rehab treatment. In It wasn't inpatient. It was like a live-in situation, a halfway house. And it was in like one of the most beautiful places in San Juan Capistrano, California. And I went to live there. My mom got really sick with breast cancer. It was her second time with it and it had metastasized into her bones and she was not and I knew she was going to die and so I came home to be with her and that was absolutely terrible we both I gave her I was in charge of her medicine and I was in charge of mine because I gave her four and I took three so yeah at the time it was really bad I don't think I shouldn't have been put in charge of her medication obviously those were all previous things that I had abused in the past and so it was really dangerous for me and so anyways, my mom did eventually end up dying. She passed away from breast cancer in 2002. And after that, I was completely devastated. It was like uh, the worst depression I've had that I remember. Even at that young age, I, I can say I've had worse now. Great. But back then it was absolutely terrible. I had agoraphobia really bad. I couldn't leave the house. Um, I was afraid that I would die if I went outside. Um, I had this terrible fear. Agoraphobia is like the worst thing because nobody understands it. And so when you try to explain it to people like, I don't want to go outside, they have no idea. They think you've really gone batshit crazy. So that was something I kind of kept to myself. And that's why I isolated so much. But at 26, I decided to make a plan after my mom died, and I wrote down all the people that I wanted to say goodbye to that had made a real mark in my life, and I really thought they were special. And honestly, had I had a pills or access to pills, I would have taken all of them. Amazingly enough, I did not have access to pills at the time because I was not on medication, which obviously I should have been at the time. I know I said earlier, but I remember I had stopped taking them. So again, this is a time I was off my meds. I had depression so bad. I would hear voices, just scary things at night. And I'm not really sure how to explain. I don't really hear. I do hear voices sometimes. I'm not going to lie when I'm in a depression, but <clears throat> it's not the same. It's not like, you know, someone's talking to me. It's more like whispering or scary messages or should I tell myself in my head, but it's rumination that will not stop. Sometimes I hear it externally, but it's usually a scary something. It's almost as I feel like a dark shadow is over me or there's evil somewhere surrounding me and it's absolutely terrifying. You just lay in your bed and you're just frozen with fear. Anyways, that was like one of the worst times. I remember just, I just prayed for nighttime to come because I just wanted to go to bed. I just wanted to go to sleep. I just wanted everyone to leave me alone. So at the time, it was very, very hard. Um, I definitely, I overdosed twice before that. It wasn't done intentionally. One was actually the night before my mom died. I took a bunch of pills and actually overdosed and ended up in the hospital. And then I was awoken by the woman who came to the hospice lady, the nurse, who came to get me and take me back to my mom because she knew my mom was going to die. And she had specifically told me that your mom is going to die. You're going to come home. You're going to say goodbye to her. And that's exactly what I did. I unhooked all those tubes and I went home and I said goodbye to my mom and she died. It was like one of the most traumatic things ever. So I'm sure if you have a mother or a father who has passed away, I'm sure you know how devastating that is. And it doesn't matter what age you are at. So just so you know, those are just some of the most terrible times. But 
at the time, I really thought I wanted to die. I didn't care about anybody or anything. Um, I didn't care if I hurt anybody. As far as my family, I all my family was in Phoenix, and I wasn't super close to them. I was kind of close to my grandma, but she could be kind of harsh at sometimes, so I didn't really reach out to her. Um, but I decided that death was just easier than going forward. And my pain was so unbearable that I felt like talking to people about it just wasn't cutting it. I just wanted to tell them, look, I'm dying. I'm dying a slow death in my mind. And I had so much pain. And it was really hard for friends because they wanted to be there and they wanted to support me, but they were scared and they had no idea how to do it. So a lot of them had pulled away. And this is really the time when you learn who your friends are. Well, the first person I had made on my list to say goodbye to was a really good friend. And I thought she was just the most perfect person with a perfect family. I just love her and adore her so much. But when I think about her, I think about her and her husband as Barbie and Ken. But they are like the most kind-hearted, good-hearted people. And I hadn't spoken to her, honestly, in about a year and a half, maybe even longer than that. And when I had called her to tell her how special she was, and I really appreciated she was in my life, she saw those red flags instantly. And I remember she had told me that her husband, who was like a very handsome, professional, successful, super charismatic person was going to come over here and sit with me. Yeah. Mortifying. I did not want him to come over and I instantly went into a panic. The newspapers were piling up outside. I literally had dishes overflowing in my sink, fruit flies. I mean, we're talking like the pit of hell was over here. And that's because I hadn't showered. I couldn't shower. I was completely unaware of anything around me, my surroundings, because I literally just didn't care about anything. I could care less, and that's why I was so terrified of this guy coming over in his nice clean suit so he could sit down with me and like watch the prices right or some shit. So, anyways, it was totally terrifying, but you know what? He came over here. I hadn't seen this guy in like two years, and he didn't even know me that well. And he came over here and was so nice to me and kind. And I remember he sat with me and all I could think about was like, wow, this is a really amazing person. Because he didn't have to do that. And I'm sorry, I don't know many guys that want to come over and sit with some suicidal chick that they don't know very well. Not very many people. But I'm pretty sure that when my friend told him that she was scared, he instantly went into panic mode and was like, yep, let's get over there. So he did. And I was really grateful. I had called my um, counselor and she had agreed to get me uh, checked into the the PAC unit at the um, Guidance Center, which is an inpatient treatment center. At that time, I was taken in and given an evaluation. I was put on SMI status, which is a person who has serious mental illness. And at the time, I did have serious mental illness. I was extremely suicidal. I didn't care about anything. My meds were completely screwed up. I was way... This was the time that I got put back on meds because the doctor tried something different and I think he just overprescribed way too much stuff. I was on one for anxiety, Neurontin, which is terrible. It's also, I think, given to people that have fibromyalgia, but you have no short-term memory whatsoever. Um, I, my gait was all screwed up. I was super dizzy and I didn't, I had a hard time walking without being uncoordinated because one of the medicines out was a side effect. So anyways, I was just in really bad shape. And when I went to the facility, the people there were really understanding and kind. Obviously, they deal with people like this all the time. But boy, did I see a wide range of spectrum of people with mental illness in there. 
I never want to go back. I saw some of the scariest crap I've ever seen, mostly because I fear for those people who are living in their own head and their own sicknesses. Um, you know, people that had, you know, I had cut my arms, but there was a gentleman in there that had cut his arms almost to the bone. He had staples. And to this day, I have no idea how that guy lived. Absolutely no idea. He had so many staples in his arm. It was unbelievable. I can't even imagine how he didn't bleed out, but he didn't. And there was another guy in there who was a paranoid schizophrenic and he was very friendly and charming at first. And then at the end, I said something to him, which set him off. And from then on, he was always telling me that he was going to kill me. And then he knew I was plotting against him with an evil conspiracy theory of some sort. So anyways, that was super fun. But by the time I had gotten out of there, my meds were stabilized. I was in a better place and I wasn't having any suicidal ideation at the time, which was really good because that was really scary to have that. Um, So I was doing better and I was really grateful that I was in there for that short period of time. At the time, I talked about all different types of therapies, light therapy, um, even ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, which is what you see in the movies, which it doesn't look like it does in the movies. Um, it may have it when they first started it in the fifties because they seemed to be barbaric at the time, but now ECT can help a lot of people, even though I don't think they recommend it unless it's a last resort type of thing. But what it does is it literally just shocks your brain back into a state of difference between what you were having before and what you have now. Um, it's almost like a reset button. It's like the restart button on your computer. So You can kind of think of it like that. Anyway, there's all types of therapies. Of course, at the time, I was just really questioning the medication. I remember talking to my doctor about it, and I said, well, what if I really don't have bipolar disorder? What if if I really don't need to be on meds? And I remember she asked me, well, the meds are working. What difference does it make anyway? And I thought about that for a long time, and I still remember that statement, and I try to think about it, because anytime I try to ask myself, maybe I don't need to be on medication, I need to remember, is it working? And if it is, then why would I go off? You know, and I think a lot of, so many people struggle. If you have bipolar disorder, I guarantee you struggle with trying a new med. It's absolutely terrifying because you never know what you're going to get. You know, I mean, nobody wants a facial tick or a mouth that just drops open and clenches or whatever. Um, I don't think people really understand how hard it is to actually have to take a medication that has such bad side effects. I'm sure there are medications, lots of other medications that have terrible side effects. Um, but you know, just ones that are described for mental illness, they are really terrible. Anyways, I wanted to say some things about where I was then and where I am now. Um, I know that now I am much better much better at knowing when my swings are coming. I can feel them coming. Um, I also have seasonal affective stuff. So if you've heard of SAD or seasonal affective disorder, my bipolar changes happen very much according to light and daylight hours, um, which is actually really common. If uh, there's a woman, her name is Kay Redfield James. She's amazing. She wrote a book called An Unquiet Mind. I believe that she's the director of mental health at John Hopkins, but she is an amazing um, psychologist who's done a lot of research on bipolar. In fact, she discovered she had bipolar disorder when she was getting her doctorate. So if that gives any kind of clarification about how people are so, you know, it's not that they're unwilling to see it, but it's become a place of the norm that they don't know any different, right? I mean, she stayed up for a number of hours. She had all these great ideas. She was super creative. I mean, all those are awesome things. Everyone wants to be super creative. Everyone wants to not have to have as much sleep because you can get more done, right? 
Yeah, you're also nutty, but that's okay. That's okay. So anyways, at 25, I was in a bad place. I was self-medicating. You know, I felt like I had a lot of time on my hands and I took a lot of stimulants and I worked out crazy and I had a lot of grandiosity. At first, I thought I was going to have an art studio and be a famous artist or no, I was going to do photography. And I mean, there's still a small part of me that's like, I could do that. So <laughs> who knows how much of that is my bipolar, how much of that is me, right? Because my bipolar makes up me too. So now I just want to give a little bit of uh, kudos to those people out there that do have bipolar because we do have a lot of gifts and I feel really proud that I actually have an opportunity to like share things like this with you on a podcast because I think there's a lot of people out there that don't really understand bipolar and they think we're all nuts and we're not and it is on a spectrum and even though I can say nutty and I can say some of those things about me like batshit crazy I feel like I can say that because I do have bipolar so if you're offended I'm sorry but I have a right to say it. So what I wanted to say is that my bipolar disorder has made me unique in so many ways. And I think I am able to hear things and see things more vibrantly than other people. I feel like I'm way more sensitive to stimulus and stimulation. Um, I'm also an empath, so I can feel people's energy. I can feel their stuff. I can tell when people are sad right when they walk in the salon. And yes, it is a sort of reading body language, but I can feel it too. I can feel their despair. I usually can tell when someone's really sick or I can tell when someone's lost a loved one. I can just tell by how they're acting, the way their shoulders roll, the way their, their pace of speech. It just makes me more aware of these types of cues and things. I swear I could be an F. FBI profiler because I'm so good at recognizing certain things that people do, whether you're an engineer, you're a biologist or anything. I can, I can really recognize certain patterns of certain types of people. I definitely think that I'm somewhat clairvoyant and no, I'm not being grandiose right now. I really do feel like I have a clairvoyancy with certain things. I'm usually really good at telling if someone's pregnant and the sex of the baby. In fact, I'm usually about 99% accurate. Um, that's why I don't tell anybody if they, I never ask anybody if they have something to tell me. Never again, because I did that in front of a husband who hadn't been told yet. It's terrible. Anyways, don't do that. So I'm really artistic. I like to do different types of things, obviously this podcast, and I like to write. I love to write poetry, and I will wake up in the middle of the night just to write some. It's very odd, but to me, it's totally normal. I keep a journal by my bed at all times so I can record any thoughts or ideas that I might have because I feel like during times of high creativity, I my brain is more active, and why not treat myself to some really great ideas? I'm a really passionate person, and when I get involved in something, it is 110%, and I like the way that drive feels, and I like to be able to contribute to projects and other things. Um, I think I love harder than most, and I feel like that is a part of bipolar disorder, and it's a part of being passionate. I think some of us love so hard that we don't even know how to create boundaries very well, or because we're just very sensitive people. I also think we're really giving, and I think that we like to give a lot of our time to our friends and to people who have pain because we know what it's like. And if you've had depression or you've struggled with depression, then you know how terrible it is. Anyways, I wanted to make a note really quick. Earlier, I had mentioned something about um, antipsychotics or having tardive dyskinesia and how somebody could have mental illness, and I'm not saying that people that you know, have tardive dyskinesia, have mental illness. In fact, there's lots of other medications, plenty that cause that side effect that aren't mental 
drugs at all. So um, anyways, if you are struggling with that, I am so sorry. It is terrible. Anyways, I want to thank you for joining me today and listening to a little bit of my story. I hope it gave strength to some of those people or maybe help one person understand a little bit about bipolar disorder. Um, One of the things that was really hard that I had a hard time with with my bipolar disorder, um, and I'm just putting this out there because I think a lot of people don't realize this and when you have bipolar disorder, a lot of people look at you in a different way and instantly you're like, their head turns and their eyes squint and it's like, oh yeah, that's, oh yeah, that's terrible. You know, and they really don't understand anything about it. That Not really. They just think mood swings, whatever. But when you're in a manic episode or hypomanic, the things that can happen are really causes for people to judge your character. And that's like the hardest part about having mental illness. Really, it is. Bipolar disorder and my impulsivity is absolutely terrible. And if I was drinking, I would steal cars or, I mean, I'd be in a blackout and do all kinds of impulsive shit. I had no idea. One time I was in a manic episode and I spent $6,000 in one day on QVC. Yeah, want you to think about that. At one point when I was in my 20s, right before my mom died, I had $20,000 in credit card debt. And that was because at one point I thought buying a magical Wiccan table was going to bring me all this love and abundance. (laughs) And, you know, that could happen. But I don't know if, uh, you know, a couple grand is going to change that. But the hardest thing is, is, you know, when you do stuff like that, people are like, how would you spend all that money? Well, it's because I was in a manic episode. That's why. Or you might be extremely irritable. When I'm manic, I'm super irritable. And that's that's the one thing that I hate the most about it, my impulsivity and my irritability. And yeah, so that's why I am on meds. But I do want to make a note. Please be kind and compassionate to those people that do things that you don't understand, especially if they have mental illness or some other issues that are going along psychologically. We all have our shit, and I can promise you, you have your shit too. And so it's really important that you... People just need to learn to be compassionate, period, towards any person who's different or struggling with anything. And that's the problem. That is what's wrong with this country. I'm not going to get into that but because that's a whole other podcast. But we have definitely become more judgmental. And, um, you know, shaming is on a whole new level now. It can be on social media, jokes, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, it's really important to have some compassion towards those people that do have mental illness. Just respect them. They're people, too. They're everywhere. You might be surprised in everyone, and one of them could be you. So anyways, I thank you so much for joining today. I hope you enjoyed some of my story, even though some of it's terrible. But there is recovery. There's triumph and and comeback. So if you're interested in checking out um, more about my blog, you can type in www.thesaucysuperfox.com and it'll bring you to WordPress and my blog. There's all kinds of fun things on there that you can read. Um, I like to cover all kinds of topics. So check it out. And thanks for joining today. I will see you next time.